Active FM presents Food for Thought with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicky Ensley. Father, we come before you and we thank you and praise you for your word today. And we just pray, Lord, that this would be a time when you really reveal yourself to us. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd reveal yourself today, that you'd minister to my heart and give me a revelation of your word in such a way that I understand it, that I can say it and do it and see it change my life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting this new series, A New World Culture, and it's a short series. Now, the first week, we, in order to understand the new culture, you first got to understand the old culture. And so today's sermon is entitled, The World's Culture of Death. And I wanted to just um, start off with the speech that our President Cyril Ramaphosa made on the night in which he announced that we were going to go into lockdown, something that to that point had never happened before. And ever since the 26th of March 2020, we in South Africa have never been out of lockdown. We've seen other people come out of lockdown. We've even seen the Euro soccer with fans in the stadiums and all of those sorts of things. But we haven't seen a day out of lockdown ever since. Even when people thought they weren't locked down, it's just because they didn't realize what the law said. But um, when he made this announcement, I just wanted to show you a short clip from the way he started that announcement And uh, then to talk about what he was thinking, what we were thinking, what the world was thinking at that time, and how that fits into the world's culture of death. Let's watch. For the next start, we got involved in extensive consultations, and this has taken quite a long time. Fellow South Africans, I'm addressing you this evening on a matter of great national importance. The world is facing a medical emergency far graver than what we have experienced in over a century. The World Health Organization has declared the coronavirus outbreak as a global pandemic. There are now more than 162,000 people who have tested positive for the coronavirus across the globe. Given the scale and the speed at which the virus is spreading, it is now clear that no country is immune from the disease or will be spared its severe impact. Never before in the history of our democracy has our country been confronted with such a severe situation. All right, I want you to think about that. Never before in the history of our democracy as our country been faced with such a severe situation. And um, the culture of the world can be summed up by the president's words that came in the face of danger, which, let's be honest, he got great praise for at the time. People were posting our awesome president, he's fantastic, this is brilliant, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And he said this, I'm addressing you this evening on a matter of great national importance. The world is facing a medical emergency far graver than what we have experienced in over a century. So, graver. Think about that word. And what comes with that word is fear. The world is full of fear. 
The fear was always there. But the fear became obvious in February, March 2020. Now, when you think about this, the world is full of fear. The question we have to ask is, why is the world so full of fear? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Why is the world so full of fear? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, we read, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. I want you to think about what this is saying here. He's saying to you, you're a Christian. To the church in Ephesus, you're a bunch of Christians, which means you're no longer what you used to be. What, what did you used to be like? You used to be dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You were dead. And then, and then the Ephesians might come back and say, no, but we were alive. We were walking around. We were living. No, you were dead in your spirit. Your spirit was basically dead. You see, your spirit is alive. But the reason why the Bible says it's dead without Jesus is because it's separated from God. Now, what does it say in this passage? You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. So, when you're a Christian, there's something you used to do. You used to live like the rest of the world. How does the rest of the world live? Obeying the devil. This is not a popular message today. Because what Paul is saying here to the church in Ephesus 2,000 odd years ago is that the world obeys the devil. <clears throat> you know, sometimes people like to talk about Satanists, but the reality is, without Christ, we're all Satanists. That's what this is saying. And now, so the world's obeying the devil. And who is the devil? He is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. So the unseen world here on earth the spiritual world that's all around us. The devil is the commander of that world. <clears throat> and we are under that world. We are subject to that world. Unless we come to Christ. This is what he's saying. And he says, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. If you refuse to obey God, you can be a Christian refusing to obey God. What Paul is saying, if you refuse to obey God, he, he is the spirit that is at work in your heart. Again, a very popular message today. Very, very popular. And then it says, all of us used to live, in, live that way. We all used to live that way. There's, there's not one of us that's innocent. So if, if we challenge you with this, Paul says, look, we're not challenging you with judgment because we've all been there. The only question is, is it that we've been there or is it that we still are there? Have we ever come out of it? And, and, and what is that way? Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. We know in our hearts we want to do things that we know are wrong. 
Some of you might think, Yo, you say that often. I know, but the Bible says it often. The Bible often says we want to do what's wrong because it feels good. And then it says by our very nature, we are subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So the world has a system and the world system is controlled by Satan and his demons. This is what this passage is saying. Let us not be deluded about this. And the other thing that he says is the world is dead in its sins. The world is dead. That's why when a COVID-19, whatever comes along, the world gets afraid. Because there is no power coming to the world from the spiritual realm because the world is dead in the spiritual realm in its sin. Dead, it's separated from God. If it's separated from God, when things come in the natural, they threaten your life, you're on your own. When we're not under Christ, we are living in sin. I want to say that again. When we are not under Christ, we are living in sin. We are obeying the devil. Many people who believe they're doing good things right now are obeying the devil because they're not under Christ. And how do you know that they're not under Christ? Because in the decisions that they're making in their lives, they're not listening to Jesus. And he is the commander of the unseen world. So when he's our commander, there's certain fruit that he produces. And what are the types of fruit? To me, there's three main types of fruit and all the other things, all the other problems, all the other issues come out of these three. Lust. Lust, where we're lusting for things. And lust is anything that we want over and above God. The, the second type of fruit that I see, it's lies, deceit, and deception. The devil produces this kind of fruit. Let me tell you, when, when, when we're living under the command of the devil, we are deceived every single day of our lives. The way the world seems to us is just a mirage. If you go and you have a look at that movie that came out a number of years ago, The Matrix, and they asked uh, Nao, if you take the blue pill or the red pill, the red pill, you're going to find a world you don't want to see, but it's the real world. Or you can carry on, you can take this pill and you'll never remember anything. And as far as you're concerned, this is all there is. And you can take that to the Bible because Jesus said, if the truth sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And you only know the truth when you meet him. If you don't meet him, you're under the command of the enemy. So he produces lust, he produces lies, lies and he produces fear. Look at what Adam, and the, <laughs> no, listen to that. Look at what happened when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. The first thing that happened, they saw that they were naked, they put leaves on themselves, and God said, why have you put leaves on yourselves? Because we were afraid. We were afraid. The moment they listened to the enemy, he became the commander. And the moment he became the commander, with it came fear. They fell into the fear because of the lie. They fell into the lie because of lust. 
So, if you look at the enemy, he has access to the spirits of many people. Many people around the world, their spirits are accessible to the enemy. And the people that he has access to are those who refuse to obey God. And what do those who refuse to obey God look like? Well, when we look like this, and, and we need to say we, because all of us need to look in the mirror every single day and answer the question for ourselves, are we following the Lord? Or are we operating under the command of the enemy? When we refuse to obey God, we follow the passionate desires of our sinful nature. We follow the inclinations of our sinful nature. And then we say we were born that way and we, and we brag about it. It's not for nothing that it's called Pride Month. And it doesn't matter what the sin. Sin and pride go together. And then an additional fear arises. You see, when we're like this, and it doesn't matter what the sin. The sin could be gossip. The sin could be greed. The sin could be pride. The sin could be whatever. There's a fear that arises which we don't even realize is there. I, I don't believe we fully realize it's there, but something feels off. And the fear is this. The fear is the realization somewhere deep inside of our soul that by our nature we are subjected to God's anger. That we deserve judgment. We often like to say, I want this because I deserve it. And we're trying to convince ourselves that we deserve it because I believe often something inside of us says we don't. The sense that we're subjected to God's anger. And this produces an additional type of fear. And you watch how we respond to things. You watch how we can be manipulated with things that we see and things that we read. We have a fear of the wrath of God. A fear that we deserve punishment. We have a fear that our sickness is deserved. You know, many people struggle to pray for healing because they have a fear that the sickness that is on them is deserved. We have a fear that we are powerless before illness. And so something needs to come from outside of us to save us because we're powerless. <clears throat> a fear that our nation is falling apart and that we're powerless to do anything about it. You see, you've got to look at the fears that you know you have and then start asking, what is the source? What is the source? Now understand, that's the world. The world operates by fear. The world is controlled by fear. Everything in the world is about fear. And the kingdom of God is the direct opposite of the world. Listen to what I'm telling you. It's the opposite. It is totally the opposite. Look at 1 John 4 verse 18, what it says. It says, such love has no fear. When we are living and the kingdom fills our perspective, it doesn't matter what we know. It doesn't matter what facts we see on the ground. It doesn't matter what's happening all over the place. When we have the love of God that fills our hearts to the brim, there is no fear. 
Fear is a, is, a, is a sign that we're not living in and experiencing the love of God. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. In other words, the perfect love of God comes into you and is like a principal that says to a naughty student, get out of the school, you're expelled. I don't know about you, but I want that naughty pupil of fear expelled out of my life. And I want the principal to come and say to that fear, you little monster, you little rascal, you are expelled. Get out. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. Now, we can look at that two ways and we can start feeling bad. That's not going to help. Or we can say, you know what? In this life, there's more to this life than what I'm experiencing. I know God, but there's more to God than what I'm experiencing right now. And we can decide to chase after Him. When we have the perfect love of God, fear is destroyed in our hearts. When we have the perfect love of God inside of us, we trust God no matter how things look. And it just happens that way. This is where I want to get to. This is the land I want to get to. This is the land I want to live in. This is the kingdom I want to be a part of. This is where I want my citizenship to be. If we the believers still have fear, then it has to mean that we're still afraid of punishment. And that means we've not experienced this perfect love. This gives us a message, and the message says that we need an encounter with Jesus. We need to get onto the life class. And we need to have an encounter weekend where we actually really have an encounter with Jesus. Where we get a revelation of the cross, because when we understand the cross, we understand what Jesus went through on the cross, when we really get it the the lengths he went through for us we start to experience the love he must have for us because there's no ways he would have gone through that for us if he didn't love us and it's only when we experience that love that we begin to change and what does the word of god say about god's will for us you see we 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 like to sometimes talk about the fact that we mustn't talk about punishments and judgments and all of that. But you've got to talk about that because if you don't talk about that, you can't get to this. What is God's will for us? In 3 John 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospered. I want you to think about those words. This is what the Apostle John is praying, that the church that he's writing to may prosper in all things. In all things. In all things. And be in health. Now, would health include COVID-19? Of course it would. And be in health. Just as your soul prospers. I believe that the Apostle John was speaking from God's heart. I believe that God wants us to prosper in all things. I believe he's, he's promised us persecution. <laughs> that he promised, unfortunately. But other than that, 
He's promised us to prosper in all things. And I believe He wants us to overcome the world. I also believe He won't overwhelm us with what we, what we can't handle. That everything that He allows into our lives, we can handle. Philippians 2.27 It says this, And He was certainly ill. He almost died, but God had mercy on Him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So the Apostle Paul's talking here about someone that was sick. You can go and read about it in Philippians. And then he said, he almost died, but God had mercy on him. And he believed that God had mercy on this guy because Paul could not have handled one sorrow after another. It was getting too much, and so God healed the guy. I believe that when you look at this from this, that when you pray for people, there are times God will heal people to save you from more sorrow when you've already had multiple blows. God promises not, promises not to give us more than what we can handle. If our situations are overwhelming us, we need to get to God. Because this is a promise that we can stand on. For those that trust God, he does an incredible thing. He gives us joy in the midst of our pain. It's an incredible thing to have joy in spite of your pain. It's an incredible thing when something that should have flawed you, something that should have flattened you, doesn't stop your joy. I've read many times about people in the persecuted church who've been put in prison for, for their faith. And even with those guys, guess what happened? They could have been locked in a, in a tin box in solitary confinement. And yet right there, they had joy. God does an incredible thing to help us to overcome. And when we overcome and he gives us this joy and we see people getting healed and we see him do miracles and, and, and we experience that no matter what happens, nothing gets us down. Then Jesus says, that he wants us to be his witnesses. He wants us to go out and witness to other people. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you can't tell people everywhere about Jesus if you haven't experienced him. And this is why Every single human being needs an encounter with Jesus. I want you to think about this. People don't know that they need an encounter with Jesus. That's like you're experiencing the ravages of hunger. You know, physical hunger, and you don't realize it's food that you need. You, you've got this pain. You, your body's suffering because of hunger, but you don't realize what you need is food. And maybe there's a whole bank of tables there with a banquet. All the food you can eat. But you don't connect the dot that this pain that I'm feeling is because I've got a lack of that stuff on that table there set out for that banquet. Jesus is a banquet waiting for you to be overcome with his love and with his grace. Waiting for you to be filled with His Spirit. 
to experience the love and the joy and the peace that only He can give. When people come on an encounter weekend, when you look at the encounters of the Apostle Paul and you know, people in the Bible, what is the aim of those encounters? Well, first of all, is that a person would receive the assurance of their salvation. If I'm assured of my salvation, I'm no longer afraid of the judgment that's coming. Also, what God wants is that those wounds that are in my soul, in my spirit, in my spirit man. What God wants is that I will be restored from those wounds. That I would be completely restored. That the commander of the air, or as some translations put, the prince of the power of the air, that I would be delivered from him. That I would be delivered from all demonic influence. I would be delivered from all oppression, all demon possession. Everything that the devil and demons do, I would be delivered. I would have deliverance from it. And then I would experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Where I'm filled with the Spirit. Where I see the gifts of the Spirit. Where the fruit of the Spirit becomes manifest in my life. And that I receive vision. You see, I spoke about the fact that part of the problem when we're under the command of the enemy is that we're deceived, we can't see. And God wants to give a person vision. He wants to give a person vision about their purpose. He wants to give a person vision about situational awareness. What's really going on around you? And how do you respond to it? Now in Revelation 19 verse 10, and I'm going to start something, we're going to continue with it next week. It says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have received the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I want you to start thinking about that sentence. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is desperately needed in our time are prophets. What is desperately needed in our time are prophets that are speaking out about the future, that are speaking out about eternity, that are speaking out about a hope that one day Jesus is coming back for his church, that are speaking about the fact that in Christ we have a never-ending hope. The testimony of Jesus is a spoken or written record of everything he's done. Everything. So some of the testimony about Jesus would be about things from the Bible. Some of the testimony of Jesus would be something you might type up on a social media platform saying what Jesus has done. Some of the testimony about Jesus would be you speaking to people, telling them what Jesus has done in your life. What is prophecy? Prophecy is something that comes that foretells the future. So I could prophesy and say, there's such a big disaster coming upon South Africa. I see, and the Lord showed me, oh, there's going to be such a terrible hardship. Oh, and it's going to be the end of the world. And the Lord showed me that the people are not going to turn around, and the country is going to go up in flames. 
Thus says the Lord. It could be something like that, but I want to tell you another aspect to prophecy, which that doesn't take into account. Prophecy is given to change present situations. Prophecy is given to change the present reality a people are facing. What is the present reality our people are facing? They're locked down. They're sick. They're being told to vaccinate. Some people desperately want to vaccinate. Others don't know if they should. They're confused. They're afraid. They're grieving because they've lost people. They don't know who to trust. They're hearing contradictory messages all the time. Prophecy comes. It foretells the future in a way to change the present situation, to change the present reality that people are facing. The testimony of Jesus carries the weight of heaven to alter the reality of a problem or situation we're facing. I want to read that to you again. The testimony of Jesus carries the weight of heaven. The weight of heaven. In other words, it has authority. It has the authority of heaven. To do what? To alter the reality of a problem or situation we're facing. You want to change what's going on? You want to change what you're experiencing in your home? You want to change what you're experiencing in your community? You want to change what we're experiencing in the church? If we start giving testimonies about the miracles that Jesus has done, to start counteracting all of the bad news that's been coming, you know we change the culture? Testimonies about what the Lord has done changes the culture. The world is stuck in fear. The world is mired in fear. The world is in a trap of fear. The world, it's like the world is in sinking sand. And when we start giving testimonies about what the Lord has done, that's like someone stuck in, in sinking sand. They're busy going down. And you stick out a branch. They grab onto the branch and you pull them out. That's what a testimony does. It gets someone to believe, I can get out of this sinking sand. Let me just hold on to the branch of Jesus. And I will be pulled out. How many testimonies have you been giving out this week about Jesus? Because if we want a new world culture, it's the only way it's going to change. When people are talking about it's so terrible, it's so bad, we're so afraid, we're so this, we're so that. The only thing that is going to get them out of it is a testimony. Listen, this is what Jesus did. Listen to his miracle. God is no respect of persons. He wants to do this in all of us. A testimony. Listen, this is what my life was like. I had an encounter with Jesus. He changed everything. These are the things I used to do. I don't do them anymore. Why? Because Jesus has impacted me. He's changed me. 
someone comes to us and says, why, why, why are you a person, you used to be so afraid, you used to be so scared, now you're bold. And you take things in your stride. Listen to my testimony about what Jesus did. And then this one time, I encountered him. I went in, this and this and that was happening. I felt broken, I felt tied down, I felt weighed way down. Bam, he came in. Felt like chains came off. I was free. Your testimony will build faith into the lives of other people. But the Holy Spirit will use your testimony to build faith in your heart too. What do you do if you're facing a terrible situation now? You speak to yourself and you speak to others what God has done for you before. Because if He did it before, He can do it again. And then I want to remind you, Romans 10 verse 8 and 9, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is at the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're saved, you're not afraid. I want to say it again. If you're saved, you're not afraid. Because if you're saved and you have a relationship with Jesus and you encounter Him regularly, you know that you're walking with Him. You know that you're ready for eternity. You know that if death were to come to you today, you'll be ready for it. You know that you won't experience the full force of death. But you know, in order to get to that place, you need to repent. You need to repent out of the world's way of thinking, which means you need to repent out of fear. To get out of fear, you've got to repent. If you don't repent, you will continue in fear. You get out of fear by repenting, turning to Jesus, and start living like you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Start living according to the identity that Jesus died on the cross to give you. Start living according to His love for you. His immeasurable love. And He said, you're so valuable to me that my death on the cross counts for you. I've paid the price for your sin. Just receive me right now. And I will touch you. I want to say to you that <clears throat> I believe there's many of you the Lord is speaking to you right now. And maybe there's resistance in your heart. Jesus is saying, now I want you to give your life to me now because now is the time, now is the moment for you to be saved. Don't, don't wait another day. You're not going to pray a better prayer later. Don't tell me you want to think about it because you may not have later. Now is the time. At the altar, we come to the altar where Jesus sacrificed everything. And we sacrifice everything. A life that is full of fear, a life that is full of lust, a life that is full of lies. We all complain about hypocrites, but we all have, have those lying, deceptive issues. We lay that down at the foot of his cross. 
And we ask Him by His blood, by the authority of His blood, to give us an exchange where He gives us His life in return. The altar that you come to, which is the altar of the cross, number one, sanctifies everything, which means it puts you in a position where you can serve God. It justifies everything, which means it makes you as if you've never sinned. It cleanses everything. It brings about forgiveness for all sins. You know what else? It redeems us. Redeems us from the power of the enemy. That's when we can pray. By his stripes we are healed. We can believe God's going to heal people. We can see him do it for us. When you come to the altar, you're saying, Lord, this is the time. This is the time I want to come to you now. I want to commit my life to you now. I want to submit to you now. Lord, I want to submit completely to you. I can't wait until later. I can't wait until summer. I can't wait for whatever. Lord, I want to submit completely to you now. Because if I don't do it now, I don't know if I'll make it. I don't want to live eternity far from you. I want to live close to you from this day on. I want to be so close to you, Lord, that when I realize it's my time to die, I won't be afraid. I'll be at peace. I'll experience your peace. And I just want to tell you one thing. A number of years ago, when I met with Angus Buckham, he told me about experience I knew he'd had in 2009. We're at the Mighty Men Conference, right there at Heart Attack. And the doctors at the scene thought he was going to die, because that's what the stats were telling him. So he was experiencing the process of death. He was dying. They airlifted him into a helicopter and he said as the helicopter took off it banked over and he saw all the men from the mighty men's conference they were kneeling down praying for him. And at that moment he got healed but he said God gave him a taste of what it's like for a Christian to die and God spoke to him after that and said when a Christian dies there's a separation from the pain. God makes it bearable. He gives them peace. So even when you die, you'll have peace. The thing you fear the most will be a peaceful experience. And you'll sail away into the sweet arms of Jesus. So if you don't need to fear that, then you can overcome anything. And that's what the Lord wants you to overcome here today. He wants you to know that when your death comes around, it won't affect you because you're going to know deep in here that you're going to be with Him for eternity. And so I want you to close your eyes. I want you to see Jesus right now there, wherever you are. Whether you're alone at home, listening in the audio, you're sitting maybe with a group of people in your lounge, wherever you are. Right now, I want you to see Jesus. I want you to visualize His sacrifice for you on the cross. 
And I want you to recognize that the Bible says that this Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His work at the cross of Calvary stands forever. His work stands once and for all. And the blood that he shed was the price that he paid for your and my sins. And if we have our faith in him, his blood will wash away all of our sins. All of our sins. All of our sins which separate us from God. All of our sins which put us in the place where we have this expectation somewhere locked away deep inside our subconscious of the coming judgment. The blood of Jesus washes that away. And if we have faith, He will will do this. And I want to ask you, as the Lord called on you, to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe he's called on you to recommit your life to Jesus. And if he's done that, I'm going to ask you in a moment to pray this prayer with me and mean it. But I'm also going to ask you to send an email to info at activechurch.org. That's info at activechurch.org. And just say, I've given my life to Jesus for the first time. I've recommitted my life to Jesus. Just give us your contact detail and we'll be in touch. God wants to bless you today. I want you just to see Jesus touching you right now. See Him touching you by His Spirit. See His glory just flowing into you right now. He's coming with healing in His wings. His presence is filling every space in your heart. Every dark space, every wounded space. Every scarred place. By His blood is restoring you right now. So now we're all going to pray together with you. Every one of us are going to pray. Please remember, if you are saying this prayer, because the Lord's called you, I want you to make a declaration and send that email. Send it right now, straight after the service. Say, I've given my life to Jesus, or I've recommitted my life to Jesus, with your contact detail. And we'll be in touch. But I'm going to ask you right now to pray and repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, Today I recognize that I'm a sinner and I repent of everything that I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin and I accept your sacrifice because I know that it was the price you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask that you would wash me with the blood of your wounded body, that you'd wash me of all my rebellion and all my sin that you'd set me free from any sickness and any pain and I accept by faith that today my debt has been paid there is no longer any outstanding balance because you paid everything for me on the cross of Calvary and by your blood 
I believe I'm justified. And that right now you've made it. As if I've never sinned. And by your blood I'm sanctified. You have chosen me to serve you. And I'm willing to serve you. Today I open the door of my heart. And I invite you to come in. As my Lord and my Savior. Thank you Lord for saving me. And giving me eternal life. Thank you Jesus. Amen. Yeah.